Coming up, it's the 53rd episode of Big Lens Fast Shutter, and I talk about being in Venezuela. Masterclass kind of decided on doing one thing. Pledge cues, we got three questions uh, from our pledges from Patreon. Cross Counter, go a bit infra black. Episode 53 is next. You cannot be serious! That ball was on the line! Konnichiwa, this is Ryu Voko. Shalom, this is Matt Cohen. Welcome to Big Lens Fast Shutter, where we demystify the world of sports photography. And if you have forgotten, and I know you haven't, it is never too late to send a couple of bucks our way. Since this is a 100% user-funded audiovisual entertainment, please go to patreon.com slash BLFS. That is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash BLFS. And show us how much you love us. Because we are here to make you a better sports photographer. Uh, news. News. Here at News, both Ryu and I will tell you our best and worst shoot of the previous month. And we talk about ourselves because we are professional sports photographers. And not Canon users, fortunately. No. Yeah. Because apparently they, according to Mashley, bitch and moan a lot. Speaking of which, Matt and I were just talking um, off off the record, not really off the record, before we start recording, Matt was uh, going on and on, on about the fact that he bought a D5. We'll talk about it down the line because I would like to buy one maybe in November, just not now because I just want to, you know, I don't do what I did with a D4 and, and just cry after I bought <laughs> it. So I'm just going to wait. But I think I will give Matt a minute now just to kind of get off his chest about the D5. And I'll go and switch off my uh, aquarium, this water thing, which is really bothering me. So, <laughs> Matt, you can talk for one minute. Go ahead. <laughs> uh, I've had the camera for less than 24 hours, so I don't know exactly yet. I'm trying to remember how it is to set up a brand new camera, which has been a little while. D3S was the last brand new one that I bought. So this one obviously has a lot of different settings on it that I'm not at all familiar with. Uh, but I am excited to test out the low light and twice as many megapixels. I don't know. <laughs> that's it. But that's, all, that's, all you, that's all you can say now. That's fine. Okay. So we move on to news. Okay. The good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, news. What you got? I've been sick for the last month. So I only shot, I don't know, four hockey games or something, which was about the most that I could really do. Those were all good shoots. I got a new 70 to 200 to replace my old one that uh, the autofocus motor broke. And rather than getting it fixed and using it, I got it fixed and got, sold it. Bought the new 70 to 200, which is not all that new anymore. I was pretty impressed with how much better the colors are right out of the camera with that one. So that's really the only notable thing from shooting four hockey games while I was barely able to walk around. The best for me was I went to Venezuela for about two weeks. This is part of my annual baseball, like Latin American baseball project that I've been doing for the past three years now, my fourth year. I did Dominican Republic, I did Curacao, and I did Cuba, and this year was... uh, Venezuela, which like would like 
probably is going to be the last one of the Latin American series, and we're going to probably move on to to Asia and Americas later on. But Americas probably, I don't know what's going to happen because you know they might not let me into the country again. It was really great because I think the people in Venezuela were very, very nice, and the baseball was very, very good. They're much, much better coached than they are in Dominican Republic, for instance, or Cuba or any other place. Maybe Dominican Republic better coaching at like academy level and it shows in the pictures as well you, it gets to a point that like you're shooting kind of the same thing like that kind of a lower league stuff and the kids are or, or you know younger guys are playing and it's not really interesting because you want to kind of see like what they do in terms of training in terms of the drills that they do there has to be some kind of uh, interesting thing that goes on um slowly and slowly perfecting my low angle when they play defense you know when they're, they're like they're you know uh, getting uh, balls hit at them. I'm all, I've been trying to do this for the past four years, trying to get the timing right to get the shots that I can get. So that's kind of getting a lot of fun. And my worst shoot also is being in Venezuela because people tell you you can't take cameras out at these locations. You can't go there with a camera. You can't do this. There's so many things you cannot do. A, because the government is obviously watching you, what kind of pictures you take and things like that, because certain things you cannot take a picture of. And there are local gangs and thugs and whatnot who are ready to pick your pocket, take your cameras away. And basically, more they're going to steal your cameras, you know, they're going to rob them at gunpoint. And that's not a very, very fun thing to do. So that's kind of been like my two weeks, and I was not happy about it. I was very happy to, you know, come back home alive. And uh, wherever we're going to go next time, it will be a bit more, a bit safer than we'll be had uh, experience in Venezuela. Big Lens Fast Shutter. Now did we decide to move to uh, Patreon to get, you know, for you to basically pledge us. What happens is that you pledge X amount to us every month. Um, you get certain benefits for being a pledged person. And if you decide to pledge for one year, yeah, there's a lot of things you, we can do for you uh, that will not come if you don't pledge. We believe that what we give to the listeners, you know, of you, is quite valuable information. We've been doing this for like well over five years and it's been very, very good. People have loved it. They have benefited from it. Please do check out patreon.com uh, slash BLFS. And that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BLFS. The assignment desk. I don't know how to do this one, but assignment desk is where we give you an assignment and you show us if you've been listening very carefully. Please don't doze off like I'm doing right now and show us that you've been an attentive student. So last month we gave, well, we asked you to shoot. Matt Quinn, what did we do? Emotion. Yes. See, Matt's been listening today, which is very rare. And emotion is something that a lot of people have a lot of difficult time. I We've had contests on emotions, you know, time and time for the past couple of years, and they have been absolutely horrendous. It's like, you know, you don't under, people don't understand what emotion really means. Let's hope that people have done better. And Matt Cohen, is there anyone that really kind of struck your chord in a you know bad way in a good way or bad way or a good way uh, well i think you know if you just look at the first two um uh, you can go to flickr.com slash big lens fast shutter the 
title of the topic is Assignment Desk for EP53 Emotion. So Tom Beery has a dog pile at the end of a, I don't know, soccer or rugby game. Not a perfect picture at all, but I do like that he got all the way in there. And this is addressing one of the main problems, which is just trying to shoot emotion from all the way across the field. You want impact. You want to be able to see the people's faces very clearly. He got really unlucky here because the guy who's rubbing the other guy's head in the grass, you can't really see his face all that well. The guy whose head is in the grass, you can't see. A lot of the other guys who are in key positions don't have the, you know, the kind of look on their face like the guy in the top left. That's unlucky, but the process here was good. Put on a wide angle lens and get as close as you can. That's where you're going to get the the emotion from certainly getting in as close as you can he got unlucky but if you keep if he keeps or if you guys keep doing this the results will come i promise what i really don't like is the second picture Bowdoin women's hockey this is a bad picture it doesn't matter that you're focused on what's going on in the background and not on what's in the foreground it could have been completely reversed and it still would have just been bad this is bad the picture still has to be a good picture it still has to be visually pleasing it's still you still have to remove all of the things that are distracting from it and what do we have the wall the edge of the goal, the fact that the, whatever's in the foreground is out of focus and you have to look to see what's in the background and really all it is is just a girl with her hand up. So this is what we were talking about, getting close versus just trying to shoot it from really far away. So those are the two, one that's on the really right track and one that's on the really wrong track. There are other ones that, you know, like the T-Max 680, when you're shooting with a long lens, this is about as good as you can get shooting long lens, I think. The peak of the emotion, like his mouth can't get any wider than that. Very obvious that he's very happy about something that just happened. That's what we're looking for. Not a half a second after this when his mouth is starting to close and it starts to become less clear exactly what's going on. So as far as timing goes, that's what we want to see. The two things when I do this, what I think about are, is it the absolute peak of the emotion? So that's timing that's paying attention after you're shooting and not starting to look down to see if you got the play before it's continuing to shoot and then knowing okay he's getting ready to start yelling or jumping up and down and i want to be on top of it and then the other one is get really close and have a wide angle lens on so those are the two things that i always think about when i'm doing this sometimes you just can't get that pro basketball game or whatever you're not really able to run out onto the court but in a beer league soccer or rugby game you are so that was good for tom to get in there the common theme really is that everyone's way too far i'm not asking you to basically be on the pitch or the court or the floor every single time because you're not allowed to emotional things happen quite a lot in sports and the fact that the level that our photos that we've gotten over here is quite i think it's quite shit really of the people who's been doing this for a long time really it, it's it's a problem i think sports photography is a lot about emotions because it is a win-loss thing you know everything is is based on winning and losing so that's the biggest thing that's the most interesting thing i think over action in sports is what kind of uh, emotional roller coaster the players and the coaches and everyone the fans they go through and the fact that people are not paying attention like the level of the photos compared to the action shots that we get are much much lower 
which means that you're not really paying attention to these things. You're not putting a lot of effort into capturing these moments. You're more, you know, gung ho about like trying to get the dunk or the shot or the flip or do this and that. It seems to be the overall feel, like after looking at these photos. And it's really a shame. I could give really two shits about like I don't even really take that many action shots anymore because I just find it really boring. I rather like find different emotional things or different compo- uh, composition, different lights, and I can probably blend in some action in there. But like I think my favorite thing really is reaction when people lose or when they or when they do something bad. I mean during a sporting event, and that really just kind of like that to me is sports. Because it's such an emotional, emotional thing. Even if you're professional, it's a very emotional thing, winning and losing. Just at some point in time, you'll realize that that celebration picture is worth more to you than the play before it. That play is going to look like any other play for the very limited use of what's going to be on. If you're there shooting for the newspaper or whatever, and they're going to want the play first, probably. Yeah, that's fine. But if you're there shooting for an agency or shooting for yourself or shooting your kids or something like that, the the emotion picture is going to be a better picture. People are going to respond to that picture more. I don't shoot pro basketball. So the Warriors, Steph Curry is now famous for taking these really, really long threes. But the thing is that the further away he is from the basket, the less likely it is that you're going to get a picture of him making a basket. It's just a guy launching up a three. What that means is his teammates celebrating that or the other team turning and walking away while the ball is still in the air because they know that it's going in is always going to be more interesting and more important than a three of which, I don't know, he's going to take and make several hundred of during a season. That picture isn't rare anymore. It's not special. Everybody else is going to have it. But if you pull away when he shoots and find somebody on the other team who that might be the dagger that ends the game, you're just going to be better off having that person dejected. Or if it's going to be the winning shot, the bench, compose, be ready. Don't just be like, oh, I saw out of the corner of my eye and I wheeled around and shot because then you end up with like one of the pictures that we have here where the ref is partly Dave Devlin's picture where the ref is partly in the way. Like that's an accident. You know, that's like, oh yeah, I just saw this out of the corner of my eye and I just shot. This isn't composed. This isn't you didn't move to where you were square with the people on the bench. It's a bad angle. If you're prepared and you say, okay, well, this is the kind of picture that I'm going to try to make tonight, then you'll be better off. I promise. So that ends assignment desk and you will know what your assignment is in the next section because that's masterclass. If you came here looking for information on Training Ground, you're out of luck. Kind of, but not quite. We've moved it to YouTube, and therefore you get to see your rewards and punishments on video. Go to youtube.com and search for Big Lens Fast Shutter for Separate Worlds. In Masterclass, we pick a topic in sports photography and we serve it on a plate to your ears. You got something to say? Tell us at BigLensFastShutter.com. What is our masterclass topic, my coin? Details. Details, details, details. Details is something that is, I don't know, I don't want to just hold a Webster dictionary thing, but you know what I mean. 
it's you have we would like for you to get into more detail so there are two ways to go about it a is to have a longer lens and hopefully the players are close enough that you can actually get a close shot of whoever or whatever you're going to be picturing and b is that you're going to get close enough to that player a couple of tips that i can definitely say uh warm-ups you have better access to players you always i think for most sports you do because like they usually allow you to basically sit anywhere and shoot not really maybe like on the pitch but you could definitely 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 be closer to them with you know whatever lens you're going to be using so i would definitely definitely go for that and at the end of the day who cares if it's during the game or if it's not during the game the shot is very very good if it's taken during training or if it's taken uh, during uh, warm-ups it's great it's fine second obviously is a longer lens and that could be an issue for some of you who don't really have a long lens with um big apertures you know that's kind of depending on where you are and what you do but in any case make sure you get plenty of separation um, with the uh, subject and the background you know you can kind of like see like what you're really focusing on and details per se um faces hands feet equipment whatever it is get close get the details since we're talking about like very small photos for instance like on Flickr or basically on the internet make sure it's really it fills the entire frame that's what we really want to see okay that's all from me Matt you want to add yeah well this came about because we just did a uh, critical b-town last week and every picture was full body or full body in a bike the thing is like i guess you just get caught up in shooting that way and then you don't realize that somebody's going to end up looking at your portfolio and if you have 15 or 20 pictures that all look exactly the same it's going to really stand out because you don't look at pictures all day every day and because you're not out there trying to get noticed and make your work look completely different from other people's you just don't realize that 15 pictures full body action all that's saying is i just i don't think about this i don't have any creativity i don't spend any time trying to differentiate myself and the easiest thing that that person could have done was to start cutting out all the things that weren't important and bringing out the detail in the things that he was shooting and this ties in with some things that we're going to get into in the coming months where your job with access to shoot sporting events is to show the people things that they don't get to see otherwise and when you shoot it like it's a tv camera or if you shoot it from a fan's eye point of view where it's really far away the fans don't get to see the dimpling on a football and they don't get to see the stitching on a baseball it's just assumed you know, yes, people have seen those, but they don't get to see it in action. They don't get to see the grip of a quarterback's hand and how, you know, it might make indentations in the ball or the split finger fastball coming out of a pitcher's hand, the crack of a bat with the, the dust, the dirt or rosin or whatever coming off of the bat and the ball. Like These are the things that you are uniquely positioned to find when you're out there shooting. And yeah, not everybody has a 400. That's true. But there are also things that happen maybe not on the field, maybe in the dugout or on the sidelines. But certainly if you're shooting cycling or high school sports or something like that, you're going to be able to get close enough to something. And your job is to look around and try and find those little details. And I really, I want to see 
people trying this this month because again one play more or less during a 90 minute soccer game or an hour-long basketball game or a race that lasts all day it's how many pictures do you need that look like that how many guys coming around a corner on a bike do you need like yeah it's awesome he's leaned all the way over and his pedals getting ready to scrape the ground fine show me the pedal show me his foot in the pedal and almost scraping the ground or actually scraping it with sparks coming out if you're really lucky but don't show me 150 pictures of the same corner or the same exact idea details i want to see grit and stitching things like that like that's what we're looking for here something that shows me that you said i'm doing this to the exclusion of another full body shot of two guys going after a ball you have to sell out on this like there's no you can't do it halfway you can't be shooting and then say oh yeah well this is my detail shot and really all you did is crop it because you can totally tell when something like that happens what i want to see is get close enough to the thing where the detail screams out at you and fills the frame not oh yeah um this guy has sweat coming off of his head and i just you know cropped it from the 50 yard line or something like that like that's not what we want to see i want to see organic yeah, no cropping, no crop. We don't want to see a crop. We want you to actually physically get close to that person via lens. There's a reason for that. It's not cheating or something like that because a picture is a picture. But the problem is that when you crop out something of a picture that you were 30 yards away from or 50 yards away from, there's not going to be the kind of depth of field that you're looking for. You're not isolating what it is. And so instead of hitting the viewer over the head with the detail, you're asking them to find the detail in a sea of all kinds of things that aren't that detail. Um, you're just never going to be able to crop enough to make that work, no matter how long the lens you have. If you're too far away, you're too far away. So think about things that are close enough that you can isolate without having to crop them. If you're listening to this on iTunes, thank Apple and then rate us. The higher we are rated, the more popular we are. And one day, we might be featured as the top sports photography podcast. Welcome to Pledge QQQQQQs. This is where people who have been absolutely generous to us, they've decided to pledge to our show on Patreon.com. And if you pledge more than $10, you are allowed to ask questions. And we have three questions. Michael Mozart says, I just wanted to ask, what do you think how the sports photography industry will look like in five to 10 years? I personally think it will become very agency oriented. Getty is becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. And they have really been squeezing out very small agencies and, and freelancers and whatnot because they want exclusives. Because if that happens, they will be able to control the price of the image. You know, they've driven it all the way down now. I think they're trying to, trying to bring it back up. And I think that's going to happen. So there'll be less and less people attending, uh, photographers attending matches. More and more big agencies will be attending them. Yeah, I think that's too long of a time frame to realistically kind of predict. 
because I think that video is going to be more important. I think that there's probably, we've probably already reached a point where most, certainly newspaper people are having to do video. I know that the Bay Area guys are all in one way or the other doing video for projects, uh, which really doesn't interest me at all. I think that it is, it, it, there's consolidation, there's going to be more magazines like Sports Illustrated and newspapers like the one in Chicago who just get rid of all their photographers and either take wire pictures or freelance stuff out sometimes even to the people that they just fired. I don't think that there's much of a future in it as far as what the past has been. I don't think there's going to be very many professional sports photographers and I think the ones who are are going to be doing not event-based stuff. They're going to be doing studio stuff of athletes for ads. The last thing that's going to be around is commercial photography of any kind, because if you're making an ad and you're going to spend $60 million on magazine and web ads to make sure that people see them, you're going to want the best pictures possible. And that's not the kind of thing where you can do with a, a prosumer level camera, point and shoot camera. But I think that as standards are dropping, the editorial side of it is going to go away. And it certainly will be consolidated all the way down to just a few players. So now is <laughs> probably not the time to buy a new 400. Um, One Shot Beery asks, I shoot JPEG and manually set my white balance. I generally use cloudy setting and when, and when under lights, I set it usually using a gray card or a white advertising board so i'm assuming like how to set white balance i usually like look at my pictures and say see how because i don't shoot like matte shoes for i shoot jpeg so i'm probably worried about white balance because i can't really change it later on yeah i do look at the picture and, and and see for myself okay like i will get it as close as possible to the color that i want it to be in the final version of it later on in photoshop i can change the colors but i don't want to change it so drastically that it's not the same picture anymore or it looks really, really shitty and I basically destroyed the picture. I would just, you know, you in most cases, you know, like how the lights are, you know, like what kind of lights they use. They use tungsten or they use like, you know, sun or they use whatever, all these, you know, different types of um, lights. I'll start with that. And on top of that, I just have to, I just like, you know, if you, if you think it's too warm, or if it's too cool, just go back one or just go up, up one and just keep on trying. And if you think like none, none of them really, really work, um, you can go do the manual setting of the white balance and see which one works the best. I think because like, especially with football and I'm sure like different sports that use like LED lights for advertisement board, that really fucks with the um, the white balance thing. So I would rather just like set it against the grass or basically like the, the thing that is quite stable in terms of color where you can basically just like do the players, you know, faces or whatnot and just see like what color actually works best for them. Tricky stuff I've had in the past are like figure skating where the lights obviously reflect off the ice and some lights are very, very quite nice lights. Some are just absolutely horrible lights and there's nothing you can really do. There really, really, really isn't. I even I shot raw and trying to actually like comp compensate later on, but that didn't really work either. So it's, it's not easy you know, for a certain situations. So there really isn't one solution to fit all the problems that you might have with this. But um, the only suggestion that I can possibly say is that just keep on trying and see for like, for most lights and most sports, they're going to be pretty much the same. So just stick with that and then fix it with posts. He's talking about 
because you didn't read the whole question there the sun was coming through intermittently and yeah so a couple things first of all i do shoot exclusively in raw that doesn't mean that getting the white balance right in the camera isn't important it is so i do a custom white balance all the time and sometimes i'll do it in the middle of what i'm doing the sun coming in and out of the clouds that's there's no technical solution to that other than auto white balance the good news is that sun and clouds are two of the things that auto white balance does well you're not asking it to adjust to you know sodium halide lights or fluorescent lights or anything like that which gives auto white balance fits sun and clouds they're distinct enough that auto white balance should be able to do that if it doesn't then yeah you might need to change after the ball comes into your end and then it goes away and you have a minute you can do another custom setting or adjust the kelvin or something like that but there's no secret trick for shooting in jpeg and dealing with changing conditions other than auto white balance is unfortunately how it goes yeah i wouldn't really i don't know i mean i just have to get as close as possible and to shoot that way if it's during a day day game like sunny or you know <clears throat> or 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 cloudy I just I think I usually shoot set it to sunny and just shoot it through, because I think the difference is gonna be is gonna be minimal. Like we're not comparing like sunny and you know fluorescent or sunny and flash or whatever. You know, like it's not that big of a difference. So I'll just stick to one and just like try to fix it post. Um. Lastly, Kevin Sosa asks us. I've been messing around with the auto ISO feature and I've had mixed results. When and where is auto ISO a feature should be utilized? Do you use it? I think first of all, you guys should actually, you know, like take grammar classes, all of you guys, and like write better English. This is horrendous. And you guys supposed to like, be living in a country where you speak English as a first language? Come on. It's bad. It's really bad. It's turning into a grammar podcast. My goodness. I mean, right. you at least reread it. Matt will go first and I'll go after that. I have used auto ISO and I still use it in very, very specific kind of situations. Auto ISO came to be in the latest couple generations of cameras where it used to be you needed to make a choice and there was a huge difference between 200 ISO and 800 ISO where 800, the picture didn't look the same as it looked at 200 because it would be really noisy and the colors would shift and it'd be kind of a mess and it didn't matter what you did to it afterwards. But D3 and forward and 1D3 and forward, I think that might be like the dividing line between when ISO really stopped mattering to a large degree, then auto ISO came because if you're shooting and you knew you wanted to be at 2.8 and you knew you wanted to be at a thousandth of a second then it didn't matter if they went from one part of the field to the other part of the field and the exposure dropped and so you needed to raise the iso and so they said okay we'll just let the camera do this it'll just be like any other kind of auto setting we'll just keep the shutter speed and the aperture the same and move the iso to to compensate for that so the problem is that like i use it for shooting in split light where the I'm saying I'm shooting baseball and half of the infield is in the shadow and half the infield is in the sun um, happens during afternoon games you don't have to worry about it at night really because the lighting is going to be consistent you don't have to worry about it 
when the sun is right overhead on a like a soccer field most of the time but in stadiums you will have to worry about split light so i would use it for that because there was no way that you're going to be able to change enough because the it's going to be like five stops or six stops difference between the shadow part of the field and the bright sun part of the field if you put it on something like aperture priority at 2.8 it could go from being 1600 in the sun to 400 uh, or 320 or something like that in the shade and then you're not going to be able to freeze the action you can't put it on program because then it's going to go all over the place and you're never going to be able to stop the action so i would use is auto iso for that because then you can set the aperture and the shutter speed and then let the iso float the only problem with that is that if you have something that's happening in the shadow but you have some of the sun spilling into the stands behind it then it's going to fool the the meter because it's still all metering off of what the camera says so then you need to kind of take that into account and shoot so that the background is consistent instead of having the the real bright sunlight so it's kind of like know what the camera is doing know how it's going to meter um, and go from there i wouldn't use it willy-nilly but there are definitely times when if you have that big of a difference between the shade part and the the light part then it's definitely a tool that pays to know how to use it the only other thing i would say i know on nikon cameras you can set the range of what the iso is so you don't want to get crazy because you want to make sure that it's set to go high enough so that even in the darkest part of the field you're going to be able to stop the action but you don't want to set it so high that that you won't be able to um set the shutter high enough to keep enough of the light out so that it's not completely overexposed so you still need to it's still you know like the normal uh rules of photography apply like you still need to be aware of how much light there is and then what your shutter speed and aperture are um, but it is it's a handy tool for very very specific circumstances i don't use it and i think i've, I've tried to like get away from like using anything auto especially like i know Except for autofocus, like I, I try not to like use auto shutter speed and auto aperture desaves because I just kind of, I like to like know a bit more. But like if I see something, I could like adjust it on the fly, like not having to like look at a meter. I've just kind of been training myself to do that. So I think auto eyes will be something. I've, I've, I think I've used it really like literally like once or twice, and that was it. Um, do you shoot in situations where half the field is in the light and half? Because you shoot mostly at yeah, night, right? so for me, it's not really that much of a useful thing. But changing lights and things like that, it doesn't really happen, obviously, in the evening, like during the day. Um, football's not really played over here that much unless you're shooting a premiership or the Scottish premiership, like basically on the British Isles, uh, usually for, you know, the rest of the European continent. It's really happening during the day, uh, during the evening. You're you're looking for this is this is a tool for when there's real bright sun and shadows or like Tom was talking about in his white balance question when there's bright sun and then the clouds come mm. over you know if you if it's really moving fast enough you know from shot to shot then I would try it out it's just a matter of controlling the range of yeah, get too high what up. the ISO is and making sure that you're going to be able to stop the action in the dark side of it and not let too much light in on the bright side of it and it's kind of like a it's definitely a balancing act for sure
Critical Beatdown is a service that we, so Matt and I provide, where you pick 15 of your best shots that you want to be going into your portfolio. Maybe you're going to be having an interview with a agency or newspaper or magazine and you just want to make sure that uh, you know your stuff is up to par we have this service the paid service um, for hundred dollars we will do a video critique of your 15 best photos i have to say it's been very very successful and people have very much benefited from it because training ground you can do it but you can only do like what two shots per per month and you don't really go into that much depth but in critical beatdown we do so if you're interested, please go to BigLensFastShutter.com and there should be an email link that you can email us to and then you can email us via Flickr or you know you can go to Matt's website or you can go to my website and just email us um, and you can pay us via PayPal and that is Critical Beatdown. Think we only say bad things about sports photography? You say we got no soul? Hell no. We're going to prove you wrong with... Ready or not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Cross. Wow. Counter. I can't do the, 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 the lounge version of it. Time to hold your fellow sports photographer's hands as we tell you why a specific sports photograph makes us quiver joy. Uh, Matt found this on Boston Globe. Boston Globe. Now famous for a movie... An Academy nominee movie, nominated movie called *The Spotlight*, starring many many famous people. And it's very good, by the way. I saw it on the. It's uh, a good yeah, movie, yeah. That and I saw. What's the other one that I saw? Um, *The Big Short*. Um, saw yeah, the *Room* good. as well, which is *Room* is uh, it's devastating, but it's very very good. It's I think the best movie out of all of them that I've seen. I've not seen *The Bear* yet, so I really want to see that one. Um, I saw *Creed* as well, which obviously any sports movie makes me cry, so it doesn't really matter. Anyway, it's got nothing to do with that. Well, there's a bit of a sports thing going on because there's Creed, but it's no boxing. This is the horribly, horribly named Infrared Sox. So this dude decided to use a infrared um, converted camera to shoot the Red Sox during spring training. Obviously, this is a bit of a gimmicky thing. Gimmicky things work well when the shot itself is very, very good. It doesn't work well when it's just used as a gimmick. So... Matt Cohen, which one would you like to talk about first? First of all, I want to talk about how you should look through all of these pictures. Like this guy's a good photographer and he definitely knows what he's doing, but you can see what happens when you don't have a real good tight edit. You have a lot of pictures in here that um, aren't good and that lean on the crutch of being black and white and being infrared. Then you don't want to do that. Like you want to use the tool for what you're trying to do and then move on to something else. The one that stood out to me the most as being the best example of taking advantage of the black and white and infrared is number three. Infrared makes, or I guess it's organic things, really light, so the grass and the skin and then things that are already really light, it'll make lighter. So I really, I love the symmetry between the grass field and the stands. It's, that angled cut in there really does make it interesting. I like the infield being really dark versus the dirt part of the infield being really dark and the light part being really light. And then I like how he went up into the stands and shot down on it and how many guys there are warming up. Like that probably didn't last for 
very long. So I'm guessing that he had to notice it one day and then say, okay, I'm going to go try this the other day. So I like that. This is a picture that wouldn't be as interesting in color or regular black and white. Like this is, he got the contrast out of this and the whole look of the picture because it's infrared. And that's what I, if somebody's using a tool like that, that's what I want to see. And uh, I agree on most things, but yeah, I mean, the thing is like, I've just kind of been going through the entire lot of pictures and some, I mean, really, there's not that many pictures that really stand out, meaning that it uses infrared very, very well to its advantage. Like if you look at number two, the guy running the bases, there's, yeah, this is a black and white picture. You know? Like the, you, you could have done this with an, with a black and white filter, like you just a regular picture regular regular well just regular picture and then just tweak the levels to get it to look like this like there's nothing yes the grass behind him is lighter than you probably would have been able to do without making it look ridiculous but what does that get you you know it's still it's just not anything that's taking advantage of what he's trying to do especially like you have to know like what infrared does like for instance like the green it depends like how you convert it because I, I also have an infrared converted camera. Uh, it depends on like what the conversion, what you really want to be like your main focus conversion. But the main thing is the sky and also tone of the, the face as well. But I think the really the main thing is the grass. So if it's green as you can turn it to obviously just white. That should really be kind of your main focus, trying to kind of incorporate those things into it. If you see the photos actually in, in, in this in this whole series, you see like, okay, why is that even there? Because it doesn't make any sense. It's not really interesting at all. So mine is basically towards the end. So Dustin Pedroia signing autographs. And the reason I like it is because the sky is black and the everything else is a bit whitish, especially like the Simpatria, like signing the ball. But that's about it. But this this would have been an interesting picture anyway, because you have the people. Yeah, it's it's a good angle. It's interesting. The infrared is a hook and it makes you look at the picture. But this would have been a good picture one way or the other. Like I'm just looking at it and if it was. A really blue sky and he's wearing his you know light gray baseball uniform and these people are handing balls and pens and things like that to him like that's just a well-composed mm -hmm. picture and that's kind of how it is now with these things if you're going to be using this kind of uh, effect on your shots to make sure that uh, it's the sauce okay always remember it's a sauce the main thing has to be very 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 good it has to be cooked well it has to be seasoned well it has to be done everything must be well and it's just a sauce at the end that just kind of adds a slight, a little bit more flavor to it to make it even more interesting. And that is Cross Counter. And with that, we end the 53rd episode of Big Lens Slash Shutter. Can't do this without you, my beautiful listeners, and obviously Rob, with two Bs, our wonderful producer extraordinaire. Even if you're not as evil as Matt Cohen, please go to our Facebook page and like us. Now you can just you know, type in Big Lens Fast Shutter, you'll be able to find it. Better yet, do that and subscribe to our blog at BigLensFastShutter.com so that you won't miss any of our latest and greatest hits. And if you love us even more, please rate this podcast on iTunes. And obviously, if you have that dollar in your pocket, please go to Patreon.com slash BLFS. Not dollar, but like $10, you know? So to recap, Facebook, blog, iTunes, and Patreon.com. Rinse, repeat, love us more. See you next month.